Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people and extremists now control terrorists. much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. All right, so welcome back to Truth About Muslims podcast. And again, we are interviewing Brady. And I'm just going to be really honest. I, I'm really, really excited just because I want to hear stories. I'm a story nut, man. I, that's why I like This American Life and all these other podcasts because that's what I'm all about. I love stories. And I preach, and so I got to have stories to tell. And Brady is apparently a wealth of stories we've come to find out. And as if you heard the last podcast, this is obviously part two and we, we broken it into two parts because we wanted to give you the listeners, the joy of enjoying these stories. Like we are going to enjoy these stories. And I, I haven't heard all the stories, but like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm giddy. Yeah, me too. Because you, you really do need to go listen to part one first because he's kind of broken down a little bit of what we see when we see the sedan and just shown the complexity of what's going on there and so now he's going to, we ended with him talking about how he doesn't know exactly what's happened at the, the Bible college where he was teaching because he's been out of the country. And so we're going to pick up with what they were doing in ministry, how they ended up having to leave the country and sort of what he hopes to see when he comes back. So Brady, ready for part two. All right. Now, as we start, I just, I just have to say, I'm going to be a little shameless here. I'm going to shamelessly recruit. Do it. Time. Do it. Okay. This is your this is your platform. I have permission to do that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So as we get started, I just have to say that that um, our work specifically in South and South Sudan and Sudan has been one experience after another of watching God show up mm. and do just amazing things. So I, that is my recruiting tool: is come open. To watch God work, all right. So I that's want, a good recruiting tool. Yeah, I, want, yeah, I don't. Yes, you don't have to be. And there's a line of things that a lot of people want to list that you have to be in order to come into missions. You don't. You just have to be available. You have to be willing to grow. You have to be willing to be sensitive to the movement of His Holy Spirit mm. and obey. Just do it. Just go and watch Him work. It's fun. All right. So share with us some ways in which God is working, some things that would give us a little bit of insight as to how we should really get over there and see more. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let me tell you a story about a trip that I took. Um, it... <laughs> I'm excited. (laughs) It makes sense in retrospect. One of those stories where it's like, what is going on? And then when you look back, you're like, oh, okay, I see it now. But um, so I live in a town called Melut, and I need to get to another town called Molokal. That's three hours away, okay? Three hours by the only truck that really works in South Sudan is a Toyota Land Cruiser. And Uh it's just, it's solidly made, and we abuse those things. So it's not a luxury vehicle. Uh, no, no, it is not. All right, how long? How long is a three-hour trip in Sudan? Because three hours here, I'm thinking uh, 300, you know, 200 miles. How far can you go in three hours in Sudan? Just so we have some context of what the roads are like. Okay, kilometers, 120 kilometers. So you're, are you looking at? <laughs> I gotta do the conversion here. I don't know, maybe 80 miles. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. In three hours. Yeah, that's three hard hours of driving. 
So explain what a hard hour of driving is like in. We don't have hard hours. We have rest stops. (laughs) So give us a hard hour. Okay, so we don't we don't have any paved roads uh, in between that area. Um, so you're, you're running on tracks. Um, you're sharing the road with tractors and tractors have a a way of digging up the road. And so oftentimes you come to points where, um, you actually, you're high centering all the time. You're, what is high centering? Uh, that's where the ruts are so deep that your wheels, when you, when you drive, your wheels don't hit dirt anymore. Like you bottom out. Yeah, you're bottomed out hanging, so your wheels are spinning. No. So you actually have to you use something called a high lift, and you jack up your car and then push it sideways. No. So that your wheels can actually get back on the ground, terra firma. <laughs> so it's not that you're driving 20 miles an hour the whole time. It's that you're having to stop and do like 20 minutes worth of work we, to we, just we, even we, be able to drive. So, so on this tra- three-hour trip, like how many times would you, would you high center? Depends on the skill of the driver. So, like, you one, got skills, two, don't you? Oh, I got skills. Like two, three times. <laughs> I remember one time driving. I was trying to teach this lady how to drive um, in a, Sudan. A missionary, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was like, okay, this okay. is a good experience. She should be learning. Well, you have. <laughs> she should be learning. Okay. You, you have something called U bolts. U bolts, and they actually hold your axle to your suspension. That's a good thing to have. It is. And so you drive along. Well, we're high centering, hitting these rocks, and they're snapping the bolts on the the U bolt screw, like it's the bolt that screws on and holds it together. That's bad. Well, yeah, it's bad. So then we run out of extra U bolts. So the suspension. You bring extra U bolts with you? My, come on, that's that's beginner. That's, <laughs> okay, a, that's, that's a silly question. That's an amateur. Okay. You don't have U bolts in your car, <laughs> <laughs> or that lift that you were talking about, that jack. Yeah, the high. Oh man, yeah. So anyway, so we're driving along. She snaps a bunch of these. We're we're tying it together with rope. Like no, we're, we're trying to figure out Some how to keep ties. the axle, yeah, to the suspension. Anyway, so it was terrible. We're limping axle. into town. Um, so anyway, so if you're going to teach someone, yeah, teach them on a tarmac road, not on the, not on the dirt road. Tarmac would be like a paved road. Paved road. That was, that was totally my fault. The rabbit trailed. All right. You had this three hour, three hour tour. It's just going to be a three part podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. All right. So wait, the first problem here is we don't own a vehicle. All right. So I need to make this trip, but we don't have a vehicle. So what you do is you just kind of listen around. Go to Hertz or yeah, right. Enterprise. You listen around. <laughs> if someone's on their way or traveling through, you just say, hey, can I bum a ride from you? And so I went to one of our neighbors. He works for a non-government organization called an NGO. And so I went to this NGO and I said, hey, do you have a truck that's going down to Molokal? And he said, actually, yeah, I need someone to deliver it. I was like, I'm your man. I can <laughs> and I know this. how to drive. Yeah, Just right. give me some U-bolts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Pack the U-bolts. So we have a rule in South Sudan that you never do anything alone. We're there to make disciples. If you're doing something oh, okay, alone, you're doing it wrong. I thought you meant like danger, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, oh, there is that too. Yeah. No, but you're, yeah. you're talking about like if, uh, for instance, I'm yeah. building a fence. Yep. I need to find people to build the fence with me. Yep. Not because you need help, but because you want a disciple. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Yeah. If you think discipleship happens in a classroom, 
Yeah, you've got Ooh, a problem. Listen there. up, academia. <laughs> yep. So it needs to happen outside. It needs to happen doing something actually non-academic related. That's I, when students begin to talk. Hey, you're from I, Africa, so oh, yeah. I had the unfortunate <laughs> event where a student said, "I don't. I'm not trying to be rude, but I've learned way more from hanging out at your house than I have in the classroom." Ouch! Then, I, it was like a backhanded compliment, I right. guess. <laughs> Sorry, I'm am I drawing my able, tuition? Am I able to tell the story, or what's going? Go on? for it! Okay. Go for it! Sorry, <laughs> ADD what? moments here. Yeah. Sorry. Just no. shows that we're really comfortable with you, Brady. Keep going. <laughs> Bring it. I want to hear it. All right. So you want to snap? That's right. We're hopping in this truck. And so I grabbed the maintenance man. I'm like, hey, let's go. And then as we're pulling out, uh, I look at my eight-year-old son and I say, hey, why don't you come along? And he's all gung-ho for it. So he hops in the truck. So we're pulling away and the owner, the NGO guy, says, oh, yeah, has this problem overheating. Oh, okay. All right. So we go, we get this big uh, jerry can of water and throw it in the back so that we can fill up the radiator every now and then. So we're heading down the road. And I mean, think bush country here. Think uh, out of Africa. I mean, think dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And we see these two guys under a tree with a motorcycle. So we stop and ask, you know, what's going on? And they say, oh, our motorcycle broke down. And this is lion country. You know, you want to, you just don't leave people on the side of the road my here. Head, okay? it, my head is about to explode. So, okay, you just stopped. You, know, you saw somebody on the side of the road and you just stopped? Oh, absolutely. You don't. You don't just pass people by. It's lion country. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that, that's the other thing that blew my mind. Okay. So anyway, so we get these guys and we're like, yeah, motorcycle's not working. Can't fix it. So we imagine driving a motorcycle knowing that there's lions out there. You know? <laughs> I, I, hats off to these guys. They're, you know, that's... Uh, I saw lions in the zoo and they just sit there. So I just figured it'd be fine. True, but, yeah, um, but apparently yeah. in real life, they attack. It's like that rabbit in front of the greyhound. He's just like, this is fun. Oh, jeez, I cannot even imagine. You just made me wet my pants a little bit. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so we load these guys in the back of the pickup truck. And they get the motorcycle up there did. and then load these guys up. And we start going. Well, sure enough, the car truck just stops working as it should. It's just going slower and slower. So we lift up the hood. We pour water in. You know, we, we do this over and over. I mean, we're five, six, seven hours into our journey. And the car is going just so slow. And this is the three-hour journey? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying everything I know how to do to fix on this truck. And it's just not working. It's hot, but I have no idea if that's the problem. Well, we run out of water. So the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And this week's sponsors are... Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. The Wemmer Center. Zwammer Center. And what does the Zwammer Center do? Talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemmer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemmer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. Well, sure enough, the car truck just stops working as it should. It's just going slower and slower. So we lift up the hood, we pour water in, you know, we, we do this over and over. I mean, we're five, six, seven hours into our journey and the car is going just so slow. And this is the three hour journey. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm trying everything I know how to do to fix on this truck and it's just not working. It's hot, but I have no idea if that's the problem. Well, we run out of water. 
I mean, we've used this whole jerry can of water. <laughs> yeah. We've used our in drinking water. You know, we've we've used all our water, and here we are in the middle of the bush. Well, the two motorcycle guys are like, oh yeah, we know we know of a river. It's just over there. And so when an African says over there, then you don't know if that's like a week or if it's... You know, <laughs> Wait, did you just say a, a week? Yeah. A couple miles? Yeah. Or... You, just, you don't know how far it is for them to go and come back. Is, is, it, rude, is it rude to ask, like, what do you mean, what do you mean by over there? In kilometers, please. Yeah. yeah. I you know, if you're not used to measuring life in kilometers, then I suppose that uh, that's a hard answer oh, to wow. give. Anyway, so these, yeah, sure. Why don't you take the jerry can and go? So these guys disappear. and Like they're walking. You have they're, their motorcycle at least, right? So you know they're coming back. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I have their motorcycle. So, yeah, they're coming They're back. coming he's back. Totally you just don't not know thinking, when. He's not thinking like an American at all. I just, I'm just I, I, I am. I'm just, <laughs> right. We're like, we have, this, we have their motorcycle. Okay, keep going. Anyway, so these guys disappear. And good to their word, they come back. But we pour the water in and nothing happens. I mean, the truck's just not moving anymore. So we're, we're getting ready to sleep just in the truck that night. So we're getting ready, kind of... That's so weird. In, in the cab, I hope. Well, I'm in the cab. You know, I feel bad for the guys in the back, you know. <laughs> but not bad enough to not sleep in the cab. You know, me and my eight-year-old boy are going to be here in the cab. <laughs> Holler if you need any. Nah, it, it, who knows what would happen that night. But so He just says it so nonchalantly. <laughs> he is not thinking like an American. Go ahead. So here we are. We're, we're there. And then all of a sudden, headlights appear. And they, you know, coming from behind us. And so they get closer and closer. Sure enough, this guy pulls up. We explain to him, look, this is what's going on. We can't get the car to run. He comes, jumps out, is doing all kinds of things. He sucks out the filter with his mouth. I'm like, oh, what? Nice. Yeah, I didn't do that. So he climbs under the car and slices my fuel line that goes from the fuel tank to the engine, right? My mouth just dropped open. Yeah. So he's sliced the thing. And it, yes, mine did that too. And I was like, oh, Lord, what just happened? But then he goes in. It's going to take my gas. Yeah, yeah. What's going on here? He goes into his truck, pulls out this little other piece of tube, and like a neurosurgeon splices this line back together again and brings me a section of it. And he's, he has me look in it, and it's just solid blocked. So there is no fuel getting to the engine. That was what was causing the Wait, issue. so he cut it cut that part out yeah yeah i don't know how he found it i don't know how he knew that was the issue but it's pitch black and this man shows up and just totally saves us yeah, that blows my mind too that he just drives up in the middle of the night or however what it's it's after dark it is dark. and he stops on this yeah. old road on in lion country and stops to talk to you yeah oh absolutely that I, okay sorry if you remember our first podcast about community you just <laughs> yeah. don't yeah. leave people alone you oh that's so cool stop. you have to say hi you have to see if people need help so anyway we get going it's nighttime and the cities do something where they set a, a curfew where they shut the roads going in and out of cities just so for security reasons. Would they like blockade them, you mean? Absolutely. Okay. okay. It's blockaded and they have men with guns who Whoa. who guard that. So we pull up to this checkpoint and uh you know, we do the usual negotiations, who are you, where are you going, what do you want? And I you know, I explain who I am and that I didn't anticipate the car having so many troubles. And you don't look Sudanese. Oh, no. Well, no. No, I, I'm not. And so... <laughs> I'm not. Okay. So, you know... This Brady's guy. white, just to, for the audience, just in case you're wondering. So this guy, he's just 
no, nah, it's not going to happen. So I go back and I John Cena to Jake the Snake. No, Jake the Snake's real old, isn't he? He's not, yeah, WWF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember Tag WWE Snake. now. Yeah. Well, no, back in the old school. I know. WWE. Sorry. Go continue. Tag team where you right. slap the hand. Oh yeah, yep. it's his turn. So the maintenance man. Remember, he's with me. Right. Oh right. He goes. He starts working on him. He's like, look, this white, <laughs> this white guy. He has no idea who he is. And, you know, he's he's clueless about stuff. So please just let him through. Oh, you know that whole thing. Ignorance. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he tries that. Soldier's like, look, man, you came after dark. I'm not going to let you through. Wow. Okay. So holding, holding fast. So wait, he, is your son scared at this point? I'm glad you brought up the son. Yeah. So no, Isaac's, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. He, not at least bit. He's pretty hardcore. <laughs> so I, in fact, you, you know, he, yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that. So okay. he's sitting in the pickup at this point and the soldier walks by, sees this little white face in there. And is like, oh, salam alaikum. My son just answers back, alaikum salam. And they begin chatting. And so they in, start in English. Your son's Arabic is better than yours, isn't it? It is. Wait, wait. In, he's chatting in Arabic or English? Arabic. Sorry, that was Arabic. And so, I mean, I knew that part, yeah, but I just okay. figured that, you know, that's the greeting and then they would speak in English. No, 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 no. This, this soldier had no English. And so, you know, he starts chatting, but he's pretty excited that this eight-year-old kid speaks speaks Arabic. Arabic. So they start chatting back and forth, talking about their favorite foods. And then the soldier's like, well, so you're going to marry a Sudanese, right? I mean, (laughs) because an American can't make you kiss her on Bambia. And so... Wait, 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 I don't know what that meant. Yeah. Explain that. Kiss what? (laughs) Uh, It's like kimchi, Howard, for Koreans. Yeah. Yeah. It's like slime and Play-Doh. Oh, it's a food. Yes. Why, food. why did you say kiss then? No, uh, kisra. Is, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what the food is. Yeah. yeah. So, so, how are so, we speaking okay. clothing? I don't. <laughs> so the, the he's saying that the the American woman couldn't make this dish. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm so he, he has to marry a Sudanese girl, and and so you know they begin talking like that, they're laughing, they're having a good time. Sure enough, the soldier comes back to me. He's like, "Look, your kid has much better Arabic than you." I knew it. <laughs> yeah. He's like the kid can go. You yeah. have to stay. <laughs> you know, so, we like they, him. There's something about uh, Africans. They feel like they they have a right to chew me out for my Arabic. Whoa, yeah, they're really? just like, yeah, like your your Arabic's awful. How long have you been here? You're you speak like a four year old. Come on. <laughs> So but like, they, our language is really easy. Kids know it, okay? <laughs> right. But they don't mean it maliciously, right? They're, no, they're like no. making fun of you kind right. of thing? It's a half serious, okay. half like, come on, man. Yeah, get your act together. Yeah, exactly. But he does say, this soldier comes over and he's like, look, his mom's going to be really worried. So why don't you guys just hop in the car and go? I'm like, oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. The soldier said that to you? The soldier says that. His mom is going to be worried. Well, that the Isaac's mom. My, right, my right. Boy, yeah. So he, he's like, look, you guys need to go. So, so we hop in the car and we take off. So I'm lying there in bed that night thinking to myself, God, you're mean. <laughs> what? All right, yeah. A three-hour journey. And it's like 15 hours, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, nothing went right that day. Right. It was just awful. And I'm thinking, God, come on. I was the good Samaritan, right? Right. I picked up those two motorcycle guys. Right. And what did you get for it? Right. Wasn't that terrible? And then he did start reminding me. He's like, you you don't actually own a truck, do you? And uh, who who brought you a truck? And God's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I did. (laughs) And then, oh, yeah, you didn't know where water was and you ran out of water? Uh Uh-huh. Who brought you two guys who didn't know where water was? God's just like, yeah, that was me again. 
And then who brought you a guy who knew exactly what was wrong with your truck? Yeah, that was me. And then who got you through the checkpoint? Yeah, it was your eight-year-old son. But who I formed. That's right. <laughs> in his mama's womb. Amen. <laughs> and his brain to speak Arabic. <laughs> that's right. So, I mean, it, that's the perspective you need to take when you're doing ministry in Africa is way like you can complain about all the things that don't go right. Or you can sit there and be marveled at the way that God is there at every step doing something amazing. But, but that's not just ministry in, in, in Africa, right? That would be – I mean when you said that, that rung true for me all the time. I think Sorry. about uh, – I mean I get so frustrated at petty things. Like my wife knows my pet peeve if I lose something in the house. Mm. Where are my keys? Where are my phone? And like I'm a, I'm a really calm person. I can deal with big crisis and be calm. But I lose my keys, I just lose it. My, my kids are like, all right, stay away from dad because he's, you know, he's, he lost his keys or he lost his phone or, you know, it's crazy. And, and I think that's a, a really good point where how God is present even in the midst of circumstances when things don't go right. It's not that God is present when everything's perfect. Right. right. And I think that's such a human, you know, tendency. Yeah. We, so thinking in terms of having that perspective where we need to look at where is God working as opposed to where is God not working. Mm. What should we see when we think of Sudan, since we've narrowed it from not just thinking of Africa, but thinking of Sudan? What we see is, you know, chaos, war, violence. How should we see it from God's perspective? Mm. That's a good one. And it reminds me of a story. I like yes. it. Yes. So we're sitting there one day uh, having a picnic and uh, we have bees. We have a lot of bees. Like honeybees? Um, you know, killer bees. Oh, they're called Wait, like African be- killer bees that we see in the movies. They're, they're called Africanized honeybees. That's but they're what, killer bees. Well, that's what a killer bee is. It's an Africanized honeybee and a honeybee is calming. A honeybee is very gentle. So it, you take an African bee, gentle it down. And that's a killer bee. We have the origin. We have the African bee. <laughs> so these guys, you walk this by. Is terrible. Yeah. Why does everything in Africa they seem so you. intense? Yeah, the, the roads want to kill you. The, I mean, everybody else wants. That's why everybody helps each other. Because everything is trying to kill you except for the people. Well, sometimes the people. But, you know, like you get what I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm thinking like surviving a day is, wow, God really did something here. We survived right. today. Thank Amen. you, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. That's right. That's right. So here we are. We're, we have these bees around. And so the kids know about, you know, stay away from the bees. And literally, I can walk by, and if I'm looking at the hive, they'll come out and buzz me. No. What they'll do, they'll come and they just kind of buzz your hair. What is, actually, wait, wait, what does buzz your hair mean? Like, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they actually like <laughs> you, Trevor. dive bomb you. But they don't sting you. No, but that's their warning. They're like, keep moving or else something bad is going to wow, happen. Wow, so they know, they recognize your eyes. That's crazy. It's weird. So I, I literally, you should see me, I put my head down and I just walk like... Wow. Like a total humble, right? They're kings. humbled by these bees. They're kings. <laughs> yes, they rule. They rule our campus. So anyway, so we we have these bees around. We're having our picnic. My youngest boy is throwing rocks, which is natural, but he right. happens to hit one of these trees. No, oh, yeah. These bees get no. furious and just light him up. What? So he comes running towards us, bringing all the bees, and we, I mean, you just know it. You hear this, zzz, and he takes... He's screaming, I'm yeah. assuming. Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. A, so you hear a swarm of bees. Yeah, that's right. A cloud of bees. Everybody just shoots off in crazy directions trying to find shelter. 
So he comes, I look at his back and he's just, he's got a bunch of bees on his back. My wife picks him up, starts like football, you know, Heinz, oh, yeah. right, think this. Superhuman strength. Just right, grabbed him and ran. Running with him. I'm trying to get the bees off, but I don't know why I did this, but this is what I did. I didn't want to use my hands because I didn't want to sting my hands. So I took off my shirt. Nice. Good yeah, thinking. They... Take the shirt off with a swarm of bees. <laughs> right. I right. like it. That's okay. Okay. Don't judge me. No. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> so I'm here. I'm whacking my son with my shirt right. trying to get the bees off. Right? right. My wife is screaming, trying to run as I'm whacking her and my son with right. the shirt. Aim's not all the way on. That's okay. right. She puts the boy down. I pick him up. So I have no shirt. I'm football carrying this. Mm. I played rugby. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was used to this. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I took off running as fast as I could. And eventually I got away from the bees. Actually, a lady said, come hide in my house. And so we hid in her There's house. There's that community. Yeah, again. of course that would happen. And so, okay. so I'm hiding in her house and you know, I don't, it's the grapevine is very active. So then soon people are all talking, Oh, hey, you know, the white people got stung by the bees. And so, <laughs> the white people got stung by the bees. So, don't they know any better? <laughs> I know. I know. So we all go and we meet in it's actually, actually our faculty lounge, which is basically, um, a screened in porch. Um, so it's got screen on it. Right. So the bees can't get us. So we're hiding in this porch, pulling out stingers from my youngest son. Oh, Wait, how old is he at this time? Uh, six, so he would have been four or five. Oh and my gosh. It's so young. Okay. Yeah. Stingers. And uh, it's so yeah. funny cause you can tell who's been stung cause you balloon. You really balloon big. Like if it stings you on your head, it'll actually shut your eye. Because it wow. swells so much. Wait, um, and your son has multiple on his back. Yeah, we had seven that we pulled out of him. And so, you know, we're trying to take care of him. And then who do you see but one of our students? Andrew Nita is a unique man. He's from the Maban tribe. He's an older, he's probably 50 years old, but he works harder and just is more committed to Christ than I think anybody I've ever met. So Andrew Nita starts walking by outside. We're like, Andrew, Andrew, there's bees. You know, you got to get inside. And he just kind of waves but ignores us and begins walking towards the tree where the bees are. Andrew pulls up a chair and sits down underneath the hive. All right, this week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a biblical biblical world Review. World view. World view. CIU educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. So Andrew Nita starts walking by outside. We're like, Andrew, Andrew, there's bees. You know, you got to get inside. And he just kind of waves but ignores us and begins walking towards the tree where the bees are. Oh. Andrew pulls up a chair and sits down underneath the hive and we're seeing this swarm all around him and they're doing the whole you know hitting him in the head trying to get him out of you there. can see that oh yeah you can see a swarm of bees and so they're doing this to him but he continues to sit there just calmly almost like a statue and so you know we're taking care of josh we're trying to get the swelling down and things like that and uh about an hour later i end up finding andrew nita and he has some stings on him and just asking him andrew what were you doing you know how is your head because he was getting stung andrew begins to share with me that uh bees often will pour their wrath out 
on the nearest person. And so by going and sitting there and actually sacrificing himself, the bees wouldn't go further than him. They wouldn't come towards us. They wouldn't go towards other people in the village. They would only stay with him. And it just, this was two weeks before Easter. And I'm thinking to myself, what picture of Christ is more uh, real than what Andrew did? Andrew did not, you know, throw the rock at the bees. He did not cause them to become angry, but he sacrificed himself to sit down, to take that wrath until the bees calm down and go back to their hive. And that wrath went no further than Andrew. Well, just like Christ did that for us, took the wrath of God so that we don't have to pay that. Dude, man, what a a cool story. So you ask me about faith in Africa. You ask me about what are we seeing? And we're seeing people like Andrew Nita, people who are living their faith out in radical ways um, for the sake of Christ, out of love for him, out of service to him. That's the stories that are coming out of Africa. Can we go to um, what happened in Paris um, with uh, uh, the Charlie Hebdo um, massacre, uh, and then shortly after that, uh, Boko Haram, you know, attacked in Nigeria. Um, but you just don't see the coverage that happens in, um, you know, in Boko Haram in, in Nigeria um, that you did with Paris. Paris was like huge, and Boko Haram had killed what, like, it was like two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. And and. and you just didn't see that much and people weren't really talking about it, but Charlie Hebdo was everywhere internationally even. So like I want, just wanted to hear your viewpoint on it, you know, from being on the ground in Africa and that, at that region and just to hear what you thought. Hmm. That's a really good question. I, you know, I, you'll just get my opinion. You'll get my viewpoints here. Um, you know, you have journalists reacting to the death of fellow journalists with Charlie Abdul. Uh. You have a Western response to a Western crisis um, in France. You have, um, in some ways, you have, it's an attack on free speech. And so it's something that we struggle with here and we identify with. The freedom to express our views is something we cherish. And so it almost felt like it was an attack on us, um, that we need to stand up for this, um, with the people of Paris, with Charlie Hebdo, as you know, these terrorists came and, and killed those people there. It's almost tribal, kind of like what you were talking about. We have so many identifying marks. Yeah. Freedom. It was an attack on freedom and democracy and That's right. Western secularization, freedom of speech, all of those things that we identify with as right. Americans. Whereas these radical terrorists, we, have, we don't identify with at all, hardly. Or 2,000 <clears throat> brothers in Christ, which mm. is so bizarre to me. I guess, Brady, that's what I'm wondering. Like, Why is it that 2,000 people die at the hands of radicals in Nigeria and it, we don't really blink an eye? I mean, you mentioned even in the first... Episode, uh, first part of this podcast, uh, something like 10,000 have died in the Civil War. Mm. I mean, and we don't hear about it. Maybe we don't want to hear about it. We don't look for it. But I just feel like, shouldn't the church be more aware of the suffering of its brothers and sisters in Africa than we currently are? 
I think so. I, it's, <laughs> I, it's I think so. Hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's hard because it, it felt like we could name the issue. It felt like we knew who were, who were the good guys and the bad guys and where they're coming from and what's at stake when it's Paris. But then when we look at Boko Haram in Nigeria, you, you ask yourself, who are these people and, right. and what are they doing and why are they mad and why are they killing each other? Right. And you just end up feeling like, boy, I, I, I can't identify at all with what's going on. And it's just more bad news from Africa. And so you just end up tuning it out. You end up being like, well, there it is again. Um, and I, I, and so I feel that there's that fatigue that people get when they hear about Africa. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie Hotel Rwanda where they're filming the genocide that's happening. And the guy, Paul, who's running the hotel, walks in and he sees the footage of what they were filming from the slaughtering that was happening oh. in the streets. And when they see him walk in, they say, no, no, shut it off, shut it off. And he said, no, 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 people need to see this. He said, the Western world needs to see what's happening. That way people will come in. They will step up and, and help us in the situation. And the cameraman turns to him, and there's this moment where he says, I wish that were true, but people are going to watch this, and they're going to say, wow, that's really bad. And then they're going to go back to eating their dinner. Mm. And that scene in that movie, man, that just stuck with me. It mm. stuck with me. All right, here's another recruiting moment, and this is where... <clears throat> I'm going to, for a second, just say we need lifers. We need people who are going to absolutely invest everything into coming and serving Christ. The solutions aren't simple. The The issues aren't simple. The coming in and, you know, giving clothes and food and, and sandals and aid. Aid is so destructive giving these things oh, well, hold, hold on a second Brady we gotta we gotta expound on that what are some of the ways in which you see aid being actually destructive and causing more problems than actually helping <laughs> all right um <laughs> let's say your your job is you sell shoes and you know what you do is you make and sell shoes and then all of a sudden some donor comes in and he provides shoes for the entire county, you know, 50,000, 60,000 shoes uh. who just lost their business. You know, let's say um, you're a farmer. You sell your food in the market. <clears throat> Some aid organization comes in and they're now offering cheaper. I, I mean, they're giving away food. No one's going to buy your crops anymore. You can't start a business. Why, why do we not think? Think of that stuff. I've never thought about that before. Why would you want to... I mean, farming is so hard. Why would you want to farm when someone's just going to provide you food? When someone's just going to step up to the plate and actually give it to you for free? It, it, it hinders the step forward that people need. So you have countries like Tanzania where the president has actually said... We will not accept any aid. And so he stepped up to that plate and he said, yeah, sure, we're going to grow slower, but it's going to be us growing. It's not going to be a, this foreign a, just donations that's causing us to grow. It's us actually stepping up to the plate and doing the work and growing ourselves. What, what about finances? 
for like government programs and education and all that kind of stuff. Would you consider that still that part of that aid that's destructive or cut that out too? Boy, now you're asking some serious policy questions. <laughs> Sorry. Brady, just, you can just, just be all about Jesus, man. Right, yeah. like, I don't know. I just tell people about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it was just in my head. I was just wondering. No, I there's massive... Um, okay, yes, there is help. The problem is often it's a donation to a government or that ends up being a donation to that man's mansion or his bank account in another country. Oh. All right. So if you're going to give without accountability, you've now just corrupted someone. You've not helped him. You've corrupted him and sent him down a path of corruption. So it, it is hard. Giving aid properly is extremely difficult. And donors have an attention span like a squirrel. Like they'll give and then they're on to the next thing. Right. So it's it's hard to do aid well. And that's why I'm asking for lifers. I want people who are going to come in and actually invest their life because that is what we need. People who are going to dig under the surface issue. People who are going to actually invest themselves into a community so that they're not simply giving help, but they're receiving help. That is the healthiest way to give aid is when you are a recipient of aid from the community yourself. Right. You're actually living in community. Absolutely. Right. Have there been, uh, by the way, when it comes to the foreign aid, it's a huge topic and probably we shouldn't have thrown it on Brady, but we had to, um, but I, there's a book, <laughs> there's a book, um, toxic charity, um, that I think is a helpful resource. And we'll, we'll add that to the show notes as well. And it just talks about some of the shortcomings of aid. And then there's a couple articles we can put in there too, that have been written by some, some colleagues on aid. I wanted to ask, um, what are some of the times where you've really felt like you were a recipient? from the community? Is there anything that comes to mind in ways that you've received from the community that you were, that you went to minister to? Mm. That's good. Um, I, yeah, it's exciting that missions now is not a Western thing. My colleagues are Ethiopian, Nigerian, Indian, Filipino. These are men and women who are sent by their churches in these countries as missionaries to serve in Sudan and South Sudan. So that's so cool. exciting. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. And the perspective that they bring to the work, it just mellows and balances us out so well. My first place that I went to in South Sudan, actually it's North Sudan is a blue Nile state. And we found ourselves trapped by a river. So six months, four months out of the year, it would rain and this river would grow so big that we couldn't cross it. Well, you can cross it. I remember one time. You probably shouldn't cross it. Yeah. I, you know, you can swim uh, across it. So I'm, I'm watching these guys. Oh, you're not talking about a boat. You're talking about swimming. Oh yeah. 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 Swim across. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I love okay. how Brady's just like, yeah, yeah. I was thinking a ferry or something. <laughs> right. I'm totally thinking of ferry and everyone that's listening is thinking of ferry too. Just want to say that. Go ahead. All right. So, you know, I'm watching these guys cross and you know, you go way upstream cause the river's rushing madly. So then as you're swimming across, you're dragged downstream quite far. Right. So you walk upstream and then they strip down and then you hold your clothes with one hand above your head as your other arm is swimming across so that your clothes remain dry. So you're swimming across a raging river one handed. Yeah. So I are, just, are there crocodiles? No, not in this river. No. Yeah. That's, that would make you want to swim really fast. Are there lions? I'm no. just kidding. <laughs> Hippos. 
So, so I decided, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give this a try. Well, <laughs> you're not I'll thinking like an go. American. You're not. This might be a little too much information. No, no, please. At the time, I was a boxer man. Oh, so, yeah. you got down to your skivvies. Yeah. So I every, feel you. you know, everybody's down to their skivvies and I, I have my boxers. Well, you know, when you hand wash your clothes, that elastic just gets looser and looser. <laughs> I know where this is going. It never tightens back up. Yeah. Right. So I'm in the dryer. I jump in this river and I'm committed. I got my clothes in I'm one committed. hand. And I got my other free arms, you know, going. Well, soon the river goes to my uh, boxers. Your nether, nether regions? Yes. Right? And, it, and they're around my ankles. So, I, you know, I quickly... Wait, so now you're swimming with one, I mean, without... And movement of your legs. Well, right. It's, it's more like drifting. It is. At that oh, point. Yeah, you're so drifting, yeah. I'm trying to stay up, keep my clothes above me, my hands, you know, trying to go in the water to, you know, pull up my boxers and then try and swim again. So I'm like bobbing up and down. You should see the concern on the people like on the side. They're like, this American doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> this white guy doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> I know, but they don't really know what's going on underneath the water, right? right. I mean, because it's very, very turbid, very dirty water. Right. You can't see through it. Holy cow. I almost drowned that day. That was awful. Um, wait, wait, can I ask where your, did your clothes remain dry? <laughs> I can't remember. I'm trying to did live. You, that's a no. Did, your, that's a no. <laughs> did, the, bo- did the boxer stay on? <laughs> the, it depends on what you define as on. Did, did I permanently lose the boxers? No, I, I ended up keeping them around my ankles. All right. But, uh, so, okay. So you that's were trapped. That was trapped. Okay. River. Okay. Uh, so I, so there's this river. And so we're thinking to ourselves, man, the community and ourselves were trapped by this river four months out of the year. That means we can't get to the market. We can't get to the clinic. We can't get to the roads. We can't get to the schools on the other side. Wait, 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 wait. So this is just across like the way it's not like, like you leaving the city. It's like, Everything, like to get to just normal things that you need every day. Right, right. So okay. so we're stuck on this river. So then friends and I were talking about it and we're like, you know what? I've watched Indiana Jones. That bridge looks like, you know, that little like hand. The rope bridge? Yeah, the rope bridge. Why can't yeah, we build a suspension ro- bridge, yeah. Yeah, why can't we build a bridge? It was a rope bridge. I'm not so, oh, okay, it was suspended, yeah, but it was yeah. a rope bridge. With ro- right, right. Yeah. We have rope, right? So it's like... <laughs> Oh yes. man! So Take us there. I've seen goats walk on those kinds of bridges. So. Yeah. Goats—they're yeah. not humans. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> they do have way better balance, <laughs> right? So, man, so we we start pursuing this, and pretty soon, I get connected with this group called Bridges to Prosperity, and they've done the research that you build a bridge across these rivers, and uh-huh. the community flourishes. Because for four months, they were stuck. They were dying, literally, because they couldn't get to the clinic. No way. So now you build a bridge, and then the community flourishes because they can go back and forth. And so this this excellent organization has done this around the world. And so they offered their plans to me and said, hey, why don't you take these and build this bridge? <laughs> so they don't build it for you. They just give you the blueprints? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, they, <laughs> yeah, of course. Y- yeah, you right. said prosperity. I just assumed they yeah. came out and built a bridge <laughs> yeah. for you. No, sir. That's the other thing I like about them is they <laughs> – it's solid because they do not work they don't do the work, <laughs> don't work for the community. Okay. They allow the community, the community. to build the bridge themselves. Right. That's kind of counterintuitive, but I get what you're saying now. So, so what would be the problem if they, if they came out and built the bridge? What oh. would be some of the things that would happen? Oh, my goodness. So ownership is a huge thing. Who owns that bridge? Oh. If no one owns the bridge, then who's going to fix it when something goes oh. wrong? 
oh, and you know, if, so if someone starts damaging the bridge, whose responsibility is it to protect it? Protect it. And so what they found is absolutely the community is able with these instructions to build their own bridge and they protect it. They own it. They keep it alive, you know, do the maintenance that needs to happen to it so that it stays safe for the community. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic group. All right. So you got blueprints. Got blueprints. So then we start on this two-year adventure of building this bridge. What? Yeah. It takes two years to build a rope bridge? No, it it shouldn't. But I, <laughs> I, I went to Bible school, right. and now I'm building a bridge. So two years. That's good, man. That's That is good. actually good. Uh, I, yeah. think that, I think your Bible school needs to expand its degree program to bridge building. Maybe right. an engineering minor. Okay, or... and you said we. Uh, was thinking in my head, was it your missionary team, or was it like, the community. The community. Okay. So we had five tribes in our community. So the most important thing was to sit down with those leaders and to say, hey, do you want this? And when they said, yes, we want it, then it was, well, then who are you going to provide to help build this bridge? What, what were those conversations like when you said, do you want this? I mean, how long did that process take? What were some of the Yeah, the describe the conversation. I mean, did, you, did you say, do you want this? And suddenly one tribal leader stands up and says, what? Okay, well, I, uh, all right, set the scene. We're with communities that have are completely, um, education hasn't quite reached there yet. So the actual bridge, concept of a bridge, it doesn't exist. So we actually made one out of brick and string and little pieces of wood to show what the bridge would actually look like. You're saying that these people haven't seen a bridge before? Right. Was there a word in the language even for the bridge? I had to, yeah, we used Arabic. Kubri is the bridge word. But then to actually show it to them, I had to, you know, actually answer a lot of questions about this is what's going to happen. And then the fact that you walk o over the water, like this, you know, it, it's hard to think about and to actually put it there. I've so. never thought about the concept of a bridge being foreign to anybody. True. Yeah. And that's so wild. Okay. Keep going. Okay. So, yeah. uh, all right. So get the community together. So when I say we, well, we're talking about, uh, at one point we had 90 people who were working on this bridge together. <laughs> Whoa. So, you know, it was, yeah. Anyway, so it was very involved. Um, sometimes you felt like you weren't doing any work. You were just like helping people not, to keep going in this vision of building a bridge. Um, it's the slower way to go. But in Africa, we have a saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I like that. So that's the idea of, Hey, if I can build this bridge with an NGO and some money and I can do it by myself for the community, I'll get it done five, six months. But if I want to do it together, if I want to do it, as a community, then it's going to take longer. And it did. It took two years, you know, to build this bridge. So, here, so But you could have brought over a short-term team and built it probably in two weeks in the summer with a short-term missions team if you had got these construction guys to come over. I mean, that's yeah. really yeah. what we end up seeing a lot of times. Yeah, is, that's the methodology. Right, right. And I, I think it's flawed. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. My recruit is for long-term. Anyway, so, okay. Lifers. Lifers. So we run into this granite rock, okay? This so you have to dig down to make these anchors and we ran into this granite boulder and it was um it was about the size of a large semi truck. 
It was just a huge granite stone. And and you guys don't have like what kind of equipment are you guys? Like you don't have trucks. You don't no. So you don't bulldozers and no no no. We don't have anything. So we're using Home Depot. Yeah. Rental jackhammer. Oh, I wish. I wish. So I literally <laughs> There's longing in his voice. <laughs> yeah, it, we're talking six months for this stone, and that is hammer and chisel. That's trying everything we can. Get out of here! No, they chisel. chiseled that thing out of there, and it took six months. Well, I, you know, I tried everything, and so I ran into a missionary. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know what you can do? You pour diesel on the rock, let the diesel soak into the stone." And then light it on. You pile wood on top of the stone and light it on fire. Oh, it'll be like it. it'll be like a bomb. It, no. The diesel will soak into the middle and then it will burn it, from the inside. <laughs> I, I'm picturing a MacGyver move here. It's not a bomb, but it does heat it so much that it cracks. Right, the rock cracks and they can pull it out and in pieces. It's kind of a bomb. But you said a semi truck. This is the size of a semi truck. It was massive. It was absolutely massive. So we're working on this thing, working on it, and it would crack. I, I give them that. It would crack, but it'd be like in two-inch, three-inch layers. No! So, I mean, literally six months of finding wood and pouring diesel and trying to... It's not working. Like, I was so discouraged. Is the community still participating? Yes, but they're very discouraged, too. If You know, you got to haul wood all this distance and light it on fire, and then you get two inches off of a semi-truck? Any fights breaking out amongst the community? They're all looking at you like, who is this guy? Why don't we follow him? Yeah, are they, are they mad at other tribes because some tribes are working harder than others? Like, is it that kind of stuff going on? No, you do, you do have to keep everybody involved and working and things like that. And I, I have to admit, I was not good. It was hard. It was hard to keep everybody involved at this point. People get discouraged. Right. You talk about a bridge and two well, there's a year and a half later, there's right. no bridge. Like, what's going on here? I so, think that would be hard for anybody. Right. To, sure. to make happen, right? So then, so one day I'm just walking back uh, to my house and I'm so discouraged. And I'm walking up the road and Stephen Adamu, who's a Nigerian, a Nigerian missionary, he's been sent by his church to come and church plant and then to work in education there. He comes up to me and says, Brady, what, what's going on? And I say, look, Stephen, I don't know about this. I've been working on this rock and I, uh, we've done everything we know how to do and we can't break it. And Steven just looks at me and says, have you prayed about it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's good. No, I haven't prayed about <laughs> it. it. Americans don't pray too. about rocks. Why would I pray about a rock? <laughs> right. I know. It just doesn't enter in. It doesn't compute right. from right. my worldview. Right. And Steven like, boom, that's the first thing he thinks yeah, about. Move mountains. So we go down there and we have this prayer session on this rock. And, and then we light one more fire and we, we lit it. And then it, we spent that night just wondering what's God going to do. All right. So this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. And and then we light one more fire. And we we lit it, and then it, we spent that night just wondering, what's God going to do? Sure enough, we go down the next morning, and it has cracked. It has cracked in exactly the dimensions we need in order to yeah. build the rest of this bridge. And, and I bet the Nigerian guy was like, yeah, duh. Duh. <laughs> 
Wait, so how long did you how long did you work on this stone, uh, this granite, uh, before you meant you you talked to this uh, this man that it, told you to pray? How well, long was that? I would say six months. I would say. Oh my gosh! So you t- you were working digging. for six months, and then he oh, comes around and says it, and you're just like, why didn't I do that before? <laughs> like God, you're mean. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. that's a good. That's a long lesson. It is. It is. It's one of those long, long lessons. But imagine the look on people's faces when they've seen that we've prayed over this. Who gets the glory? Right. God got the glory for the building of this bridge. In, in this village, they were they were Muslims. Now we had two tribes that were Muslims, and then three tribes that were Christian wow. working together. Working together, this was massive. So this was a huge uh, um, testimony to the Muslims to see. Absolutely, and so the Bridge Day celebration when we opened the bridge. Oh, I got that to, sounds good. Bridge Day. Yeah, I got to sell it. You know, just share about the story and just how it's the power of God that actually allowed us to accomplish the, accomplish this bridge. But it's also the power of God that actually allows us to cross over from death to life. Oh, man. John Analogies. 5, 24. All right. He, Jesus Christ, allows us to cross from death to life. He is the bridge. Only him. And to be able to share that with... I couldn't bring together a thousand people. Oh, there were a thousand people there? Oh, easily. And that Bridge Day celebration brought all five tribes together to celebrate the opening of their bridge. In fact, we named it Unity Bridge because it brought people together. I think that's a a good story about how... um, demonstrating the gospel indeed and actually living the gospel building something not bringing it in from the outside not having a team come and build it but actually getting the community together i can't imagine all of the times they were spending together and how god was using that with the christians and interacting with the muslims and how god was using that for his glory that's certainly good stuff Good stuff. Um, okay, I've gotten a couple practical takeaways, but I want you to get real practical with us. I heard, so far, I've heard um, go with people. Yeah. Bring somebody along. Yeah. You know, If you're going to, to do something, bring somebody along. If you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. All right. And the other thing that I heard just now, loud and clear, which is pray. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yep. And, that, you know, I need people to step out in faith. Because when you step out in faith, who gets the glory? Who's actually accomplishing things? Who's working? It's God. When you step out, it's God who gets the glory. It's God who gets to step in and be the hero. And that's what we want. Yeah, me and Trevor were talking last night about just kind of how humanistic thinking has kind of crept into our, our theology as Christians in the West. I was just like really about mankind. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you really look at the word, uh, scripture, you can't just help but realize that it's all about the glory of God. It's all about God. And I, I mean, that's just an incredible reminder. I think that it's just easy to think about our problems, our situation, our benefits, all, you know, us, us, us. But then when you start flipping on its head and you see God and the whole goal is to bring glory to God, I think I think that just makes us definitely healthier uh, as Christians and really become light, salt and light, because it really isn't about us. 
And I love what you're talking about with the community because I just don't I, – I really want to see this uh, – actually, I am seeing it, I think, in, in little pockets where there's this uh, uh, rising up of, of people that want to be more community-minded uh, in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're just at the very beginning. I know that God's mm-hmm. probably been working at this for a long time. But as we become more global, I think that's the thing that kind of sticks to us more and more. We're starting to see it. I think social media is even a part of that, right? Just this desire for community. They don't even know it. Mm-hmm. They just They just have that. Um, so anyway, th- those are just incredible, I think, incredible points, um, uh, a takeaway. Uh, you know, this this podcast, you might have thought, you know, well, you know, uh, Brady shared a lot of stories and we were trying to trying to piece together, um, you know, Africa and, and Sudan and what was kind of going on there. But I, I hope that the takeaway for you guys is just this faith that mm-hmm. God is moving and that we can be a part of it. And, mm-hmm. and not just to, you know, just listen to this podcast and just, you know, be at home, just being like, Oh wow, I wish I could have that life. But really to kind of take up that call that Brady had, had mentioned, he wants lifers. And, and I know that he also means like, not just in the Sudan, but you know, just as Christians, if we live this way, yes. you know, world Christians, these, these guys that, that are, aren't thinking about themselves, they're thinking in terms of community, they're thinking in terms of the glory of God, mm-hmm. that it would make this incredible impact. Absolutely. Um, as we as we come to a close, we started this session by saying you had to leave the country. Um, why did you leave? And you're getting ready to return, as I understand it. What are you hoping to see when you go back? Uh, this is uh, this is hard. Uh, I got a, a letter uh, yesterday that my director wrote, and he said it looks like we're going to keep the college closed for a year. And here I am. I leave in eight days to go back. What am I doing? What are we, what are we going to do? And yet this whole year, my wife and I have been praying, Lord, what do you want from us? And we've just felt his confirming call. You need to go back. You need to go to these edges. You need to, to go where there is no chance for people to get education. My wife and I are educators. So we love that area. We, that's where we want to be. And we felt God confirming that call. And yet now I get a letter. They're going to keep the college closed. Right. God, what are you, what are you doing? Mm. And yet when I look back and I see the way that God has worked specifically in these directions, in these situations, I'm confident. I'm ready. I'm ready to step into the void, not knowing what it's going to look like on the other side, but totally confident in my God that he has something planned for me, for us, for our family as we go back. So I I don't have any answers. South Sudan still is in the middle of a civil war. There's still conflict between these tribes. That was tough. You know, do you put your family in that sort of situation? I remember flying, we fly in these little Cessna airplanes and, uh, one time, one of those planes got stuck in the mud as it was taking off, and so didn't get enough speed and clipped a tree and actually flipped over and crashed with some of our missionaries inside. No one was killed, but I remember thinking about that. Like, that's our planes. That's what we take in. And wondering, you know, God, is are you going to keep us safe? Are you? Have you called us here really? And so we get on that plane, and as we're flying in, I look down, and there is a rainbow circling the shadow of the plane on the cloud below us. 
a rainbow, a sign from God to Noah that he was going to preserve him, to preserve humans. And here he is looking down, just seeing that rainbow, seeing God say, I've got you. I've got you in my hands. And being willing to follow him, even if it does mean suffering, even if it does mean he's going to use me in ways that maybe I, I, I didn't want to choose that, but I trust him that he's going to glorify himself through me. I'm ready for that. I'm ready to take that step. And it's a growing experience. I mean, I wasn't at this step five years ago, but you know, God keeps working on me and keeps growing me. So I go back to a, a torn apart country, a closed college, a, a school that is in desperate need of more teachers, students that are ill-prepared for college. You know, they've got families that are been torn apart by this war. It's not a great environment to learn in. And yet I'm ready. I'm ready to go and see God work. Well, I think listeners are all going to agree that I'm hoping somehow we can get in touch with you on satellite phone because I know people are going to be praying for you. Thank you. And so those of you that want to pray, you can pray for Brady and his family. God knows exactly who they are. He knows exactly where they are. All of you need to be praying that um, God would have his will in their lives and that they would be used mightily uh, for the kingdom. I think it's been really encouraging. Those of you that maybe feel led to respond to that uh, lifer challenge, contact us at comments at truthaboutmuslims.com. We will connect you uh, specifically with uh, Brady's mission to connect you with the work they're doing. Um, those of you that, that feel led to uh, maybe even support that particular mission and what they're doing there, let us know and we'll make those connections for you. So, Brady, thanks, man. This has been awesome. It's an honor. Um, <clears throat> again, listeners, thank you so much for listening to Truth About Muslims uh, podcast iTunes reviews really, really help. I know that I keep harping on that, but uh, I know that sometimes people forget. You know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and you know that's kind of slips my mind. But uh, we're real people, and you know reviews really help because we want to get the word out. We really believe in what we're doing here. Uh, we've had incredible feedback. Thank you guys for commenting and responding. And uh, uh, here shortly, we're going to start uh, responding to people's comments because now we're getting so many and, and, and some questions too that we want to start uh, answering those uh, but thank you so much for listening we're really blessed that we actually get the opportunity to do this for our job just pray for us too just like kind of Trevor mentioned uh, a couple podcasts ago please um, keep us in your prayers and uh, yep yeah, thanks 